Hey everyone, I'm Trish the Dish and welcome back to the Gen X Voice podcast where I use my voice to help others share their voice from different backgrounds, experiences, and generations. Together, we can build bridges among different generations to connect and build a better, more tolerant world. Oh, and Happy New Year to everyone out there in listener land. I hope you all had a safe and quiet, maybe pensive New Year's Eve instead of partying or taking any chances that would add to our already burdened healthcare system and professionals. I, for one, did not travel anywhere for the holidays and enjoyed a more pensive New Year's Eve by goal setting and filling out my passion planner. Not sponsored, you guys, but I love my passion planner and learning new software to make this project more enjoyable for you all. Some fun stuff in the works coming your way soon is better quality recordings and more live uh, podcast episodes on the Gen X Voice Facebook page. So if you're not already following me there, I encourage you to do so and send me some comments when I go live. You can find all my social media links at genxvoice.com where you can also reach out to me if you're interested in being a guest on the show or just want to share some thoughts with me on an episode you've heard. Also, at this time, I want to give out a shout out to Vicki Oldani, my creative assistant, who has offered lots of insight on improving your listening experience. Thanks, Vicki. We're going to have more Gen X voices on the podcast, but as always, we will also have lots of great voices from other generations as well, like the one we will listen to today. So today's guest is Jennifer, who is Liz's sister from the episode Haiti Horoscopes and Heroin. Jennifer will carry us through her journey of how she got bit by the snake of addiction, to use her words, and came out the other side. We will hear how yoga, meditation, and nature, along with the amazing support of her family, has kept her clean for seven years. This millennial woman is truly remarkable, and I am honored that she reached out to me to share her story after hearing her sister on the podcast. Um, and trigger warning, um, we, we do cover some sensitive areas, uh, but I want to tell you all that if you or anyone you know is suffering from addiction, hope and help is out there for you. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Jennifer. Hello. And actually, do you prefer Jennifer or Jenny? It's so funny. I'm asked that question all the time and I always tell people like whatever they say first. I'm good with Jennifer and I'm good with Jenny. Okay. So that's so different than me because I hate when people say Trisha <laughs> instead of Trish. Um, it kind of makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. So um, kudos to you or Jen. Do you ever go by Jen? Yes. My family like calls me Jen, but like when I was in trouble, they would call me Jenny Fair. So I think because like it would be another language, it doesn't mm. like I'm triggered if I if someone would say like Jenny Fair, like that was like when I was in trouble, like my mom would yell it. But like Jennifer, I've never really heard <laughs> going oh, up. Oh wow. It's like nice to hear. So I'm like, oh okay, yes. <laughs> or so, that's funny you should say that because my full name is Patricia. And um when I got in trouble, it was with my middle name, so Patricia May. <laughs> and, um, and I hated hearing the word Patricia until I had, until I moved to France and people were like Patricia, or I had friends from, you know, Spanish speaking countries that would be like Patricia. And I was like, dang, if y'all speak it like that, I won't care. But no, it's Trish usually. <laughs> 
Um, I love that you jumped into the whole, um, you know, your parents with an accent thing. Um, let's go ahead and introduce you. We, um, we have Jennifer from the Haitian American Diaries. This is um, the sister of um, Liz, who we interviewed a couple, um, I guess, a months ago, because this will come out um, later in, in a few weeks. Um, and so um, just so happy to have you here. And I was so honored when you emailed me and said, hey, I'd like to be on next. And because actually, um, we talked about your story a lot. So to have you actually come on and tell the story, um, it just, it's just such a, what an honor to have you here. So thank you for coming. Thank you. I really enjoyed listening. Um, just hearing you talk and hearing Liz talk. I was like, wow, like it was just, I, I, I really enjoyed that episode. So, um, thank, I'm really honored to be on your, um, podcast cause I loved the whole idea. So thank you for having me. <laughs> Oh, awesome. Yeah, like you said, we're probably soul soul buddies um, just because we just clicked right away when we started talking. And so I just have such a big smile on my face to have you here. Well, let's jump right into it. Um, so before we talk about the accent of your parents, um, maybe a little bit more on your whole take of um, being a Haitian-American, um, why don't you tell the audience you know, how old you are, what year you're born, and what generation do you identify with? So I am 36 years old. I think I'm 36. I'm confident. I don't think I'm 35. And um, <laughs> I was born in 1984. Um, and I 100% identify with the millennial. So um, I think, yeah, that's just who I want. I identify with that, you know. Um, I feel like we've always been sort of gelled in with the Gen Z. I feel like somehow in a weird way, they've kind of like, intermingled with us because like I remember like you know Nokia cell phone like my first cell phone I remember when beepers were around I remember you know when you know MySpace and you know Napster and dial-up so I'm definitely within that generation of like seeing the the growth I'm a bona fide millennial <laughs> I own it <laughs> and and so um when people lump you in with Gen Z um, what, what do you think, the, besides those things that you just said, what are some other maybe characteristics that you think are like, whoa, 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 there's a different generation there. You can't just um, lump us together. Yeah, because, you know, it's like millennial, 100%. Gen Z is mixed. I feel like Gen Z has this sort of like... Uh, the, that's like the social media like error, you know, kind of like the online, you know, the chat rooms and, you know, they were probably everyone had the aim. So like it started within that. And then, you know, there's this like disconnect to human connection sometimes. And then there's this level of kind of not all. And, um, you know, I need to make sure I preface that. But there is a sort of like superficial kind of like not appreciation or not understanding hard work, because I feel like they considered our generation like the complainers, but I feel like we're like the thinkers and the innovators and the trying to sort of like bridge these, you know, realms because we see so much and because of the internet and because of information that we received, we're, we're a little bit unorthodox because we use the old kind of tendencies of stuff that we learned through our parents' generation of, from what they learned, but then there was a shift into technology that I feel like just created this other realm, but no one really talked about that because I feel like we're the loudest. Um, at least that's just my 
Well, yeah, you you all actually drowned out my generation um, <laughs> because everything that you just said is exactly what Gen Gen X experienced. And so, for example, um, you know, in 1994, I went into my first chat room. Um, when I lived in New York City during 9-11, the only way I was able to contact my friends and family to let them know I was okay was through AIM. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and um, if anyone doesn't know what AIM stands for, it was um, an instant messenger. Mm-hmm. I believe it was Yahoo, actually, that was was that one. Yeah. Um, but, um, one, like everyone had their little messenger. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, it's funny because, you know, for instance, um, Gen, Gen X created podcasting and, um, you know, we, but, but we're just such a, um, you know, you say you're thinkers, but you're a lot more action driven than I think Gen X, um, started out being because we were kind of written off as, um, just like a slacker generation. And why I started the podcast is because we started becoming represented by Karens and racism and wow. um, just this, and that's just so not the world that I come from. Um, you know, most of my friends are um, very much about supporting um, races, Native Americans, LBGTQ plus communities, um, you know, the first people I ever met that were transgender came from my generation. And so, um, it's like, okay, uh, why don't we ever talk about this stuff? But it's because we've been busy doing other things. And, and I think we just kind of jumped into life and now we're all in our, in our, um, mid forties or early fifties and being like, Oh, maybe we should use our voices and say some stuff. (laughs) Yeah, but what's what's scary is that a lot of Gen Zers don't even know that Gen X um, exists, and 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 in 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 a lot of pop culture and um, news and articles, you only ever hear baby boomers and millennials, and it's like, oh, we're but we're the bridge generation actually because we're trying to get you two together to be on the same page. But I thought it was really interesting because your sister um, to jump into your parents. Um, you know, she had said that your parents were not typical boomers. So I'm going to ask you the same question I asked her, which is, um, when you hear people say things like, okay, boomer, um, what's your knee jerk reaction to that? Is it funny? Is it like offensive? I don't grasp it really. I think that, I don't know. I feel like that term kind of more applies to, an American audience, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I like I think when I heard boomers, I know there was a movie about the boomer generation, like from a long time ago. And I remember maybe like, was it like working class with having kids? Like I never really truly understand the term because I don't think it was ever anything that was like I heard or was really brought up, to be quite honest. Like my parents are definitely born 1955 and 1950. So technically I believe they would be considered a boomer because of the bracket of which they're born. But like, I, you know, I couldn't really express what that means in a grand scheme. I can understand, I can, you know, define millennial. I can define Gen Z. I could even define Gen X, but I can't really, the boomer doesn't really make sense to me, to be quite honest. (laughs) 
Well, it, it, I think you hit it on the nose, Jen. It's Jennifer. <laughs> Jen, Jenny, Jennifer. <laughs> um, Jennifer. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I was a French teacher for nine years. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I can actually such, shed some light on it. So it actually is more of an American term because it was the term that was given to the group of um, humans who were born um, after World War II. Um, and so there was a baby boom, a boom of babies, um, that happened after the world war. And, um, and so it was at the time, it was the largest generation that had ever been, um, which I think has been completely surpassed by you all. My generation's one of the smallest. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because birth control came out around the same time. Roe v. Wade came out in the um, you know, seventies. And so, um, people were able to control a little bit more and also see that, um, you know, maybe not having a lot of children was necessary or, um, or even practical. So you're right. It isn't, that definitely wouldn't translate to, um, Haitian families because, um, that the, the same effects, um, of, you know, the industrial complex and all of the money that was used um, to, to fight in World War II probably didn't affect Haiti as much. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's where that is. And um, so, um, you know, I, I really thought um, it would be interesting to kind of, um, coming from a sort of bilingual family, um, cause, and if anyone wants to hear a little bit deeper about the history of Liz and, and Jennifer's family, um, please listen to, um, it's called Haiti, um, horoscopes and heroin. Um, highly recommend that episode. If you want a little bit more backstory or even just download the Haitian American diaries podcast, because you all just have such great stories. I love your podcast, but, um, you had, mentioned that you um you went into an ESL class when you first started school so um I was kind of hoping to unpack that with you a little bit on this episode like what was that like and how did that affect you um just as a student in America I mean I always felt kind of not when you know when you were put in those classes, they, they had remedial classes, so you were always kind of pulled away from your class to go into these classes. So I think I always felt sort of like maybe I wasn't smart, and so that really like hurt me. I think as a person, like always having to like prove that I'm intelligent, and also like you know just thinking like oh man, you know because of you know this like you know, I can't really be in class with everyone because they have to teach me slower because I don't understand. And so I think that's what that did for me. I think it, when I got older, I sort of, you know, got a grip on, on what that really was. And, you know, it was literally like my thing my dad said, you know, I, when I filled out the application, because went we went to Catholic school, so you have to fill out applications. It's very like a thing to go in. Um, he was like, I said, you know, you spoke another language because I thought it was a good thing that you spoke another language. So, but in fact, it became a handicap because for them, you speaking another language meant you probably didn't know English well. And so that's why I was put in that. And my sister, when she went to school, they didn't say that. So she was able to like be in the classes with everyone. But I think through college, I probably thought that, you know, I just wasn't a smart person. So it sounds like you um, 
you received the sort of backlash that is the ethnocentric um, America that um, I, I've kind of touched on in other episodes where, um, you know, that we have a history in this country of um, making sure that people speak English and that you're um, demeaned or ostracized if you speak other languages, which is completely different from almost every other country in the world, mm-hmm. where when you speak another language, um, which studies have shown, and like I said, I was a language teacher, so I like to talk on this, um, studying music and um, languages and art actually help the mind with math and reading. And people who take other languages or speak other languages actually are quite uh, much more proficient on um, these exams that we give young people in school. So Jennifer, it sounds like you had um, just that that had to be really hard as a young person. Do you feel like your experience in that um, definitely is uh, completely different than your sister's? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, and so you felt more isolated and, and um, when no, did you... I wouldn't say isolated. Oh. I, I, you know, I wouldn't put it that. I just feel like that, you know, it's like a cat, like one step, kind of what, it's like, a, what is an inception? I'm trying to think like one step in one direction and one step in another direction. Like I've, I've always been a very willed person, but I will say, you know, my sister's went through college she has her master's and finished that and I think because I was potentially put in these remedial class I think I always felt like maybe I wasn't smart enough so I kind of maybe didn't push myself in like the academics as hard as I probably would have been capable of doing if I wasn't put in those remedial classes because I've always been sort of a go-getter um but I just that would be the separate experience but um I paved my way but I wouldn't say like I felt isolated or anything like that. So instead of focusing on academia, where were your interests? Where did they lie? Creative arts, 1000%. Music, completely obsessed. Um, Just thinking differently, um, connecting with people. Um, I was involved. I played softball in high school. I was in choir. I did, you know, it was just theater. Um, So it was just really in just a different sort of, not in the books, but more in connecting with humans. So you kind of became more of a social person yeah. instead of um, introverted. Would you would you describe yourself as more of an extroverted person? I mean, I would consider myself an extroverted introvert. And I'm, and I'm, am, how do they say it? Ambivert. That's what I am. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like I totally recharge alone. I love living alone. Um, but if you put me with people I don't know, um, in the right circumstances, um, I can be just the most outgoing, friendly person ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but other situations with strangers, I could be just completely disappear in the background. It just really depends on, I guess, my serotonin levels. Who knows? <laughs> I'm also an empath. So like, I really, yes. I, I'm like an observer first and I can read the energy. So I'm like really drawn to light. So I'll, you know, explode in that realm. But sometimes if I feel the energy shifts and it's dark, then I retreat. And so I'm very cautious of that, especially since COVID, which is like the best thing that ever happened 
to my mental health, um, I've really been able to draw more inward and recognize when I need to recharge and also recognize like, you know, so not everybody needs my time and my attention because I manage bands. I was heavily, I started a music festival with my good friend. So like I was heavily into just like all of that. And now being, having to be inside and really, I've, I've been able to kind of like strip it all down and recognize like, oh my God, like even when COVID hit in March and I had to go to work because I am an essential worker and feeling the energy in the world and going to work, it was just like finding that tunnel in and out. So, um, so yeah, that, that's just kind of like how I, it, you know, there are layers to the introverted extrovert. Now that's when we get into like the, you Absolutely. Know. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny you should say that because I am thriving having no ability to make plans and not going out and, you know, having one couple that's in my, my bubble. Mm. Um, whereas, um, I feel like I, uh, other times in my life, um, I, I just suffered from depression and what do you, what, what is it exactly about? And by the way, I just want to take a moment and pause and say, um, thank you for being an essential worker. Um, that is, that's a lot to go through every day as you prepare to go into the world. Um, and I, am really blessed. I only have to be on, um, I work at a university. I only have to be on campus two or, you know, sometimes a lot more often than two days, but usually one or two days a week. Um, and it's terrifying because there's thousands of kids running around without masks. And, um, so, um, I think, thank you. Cause I, I know, I know the strength that you must need. And one of my best friends is a nurse um, and it's, it's really hard. So what is it exactly about the pandemic? That's um, is it just because you can't do things like music festivals and being around people and then being at home and, and what keeps you from being um, so introverted that you spiral down into depression? Well, my Primary job is I'm a patient coordinator for a massage therapy chiropractic office called A Touch of Health in Sandy Springs, Georgia, and there are a lot of healers. And um, in being in that atmosphere, it's been just the best thing that ever happened because we're all sort of conscious that, you know, something is happening. We have to implement a lot of you know, safety measures that we never did before, like, you know, cleaning in between each patient and making sure our masks are on and making sure our office isn't overcrowded and, you know, these little things. And then, you know, I also work for the United States Postal Service on weekends. So I've had two spectrums of just the reality of what's happening here. And I, you know, I can't admit in the very beginning, you know, I had a sheer almost breakdown and I went into work and I had a panic attack and I had to, I couldn't work and I had to leave. And I was just extraordinarily OCD because like when things are not within my control, um, something I learned, um, which was in the episode my sister talked about heroin when I was an addict is I developed extreme OCD and um, that started happening. And the moment like I felt that shift, I was like, oh no, like I can't, I can't allow that to like take over because like then what comes next is I'm going to relapse. And so I really am fortunate to work with just people that are teaching me about vitamins and teaching me about just like holding space and meditating and doing all these things to kind of get a grip 
in, in, in just like the process because every month something was changing and we were getting new information and people are reacting and people are overreacting. And there's a lot of fear, you know, conversations happening on social media, which was becoming the devil. And, you know, my relationships are shifting with friends and I'm recognizing that I need boundaries and I need to protect myself for my mental health. And so I think that I was just, again, like just grateful that I wasn't working in a nursing home because I worked in a nursing home for over 10 years, um, you know, over two years ago. And so if I was in there, I don't know, like, I, I don't think I'd be who I like where I'm at right now, like the music festivals and, and having a social life and, you know, hosting events and promoting shows like that was like everything that was like my nighttime job but it was also you know hard to stop you know hard to say no to the next social event and so um yeah this it's it's like I, I give all of my where I'm at right now to my job to be honest with you like it's the most positive work environment and you know some days we came in and we wanted to cry and we cried some days we came in and we didn't want to talk at all and we didn't talk and some days we came in and we were all on different spectrums on what we thought was happening and you know having just such a great you know it was just, it's just a great work environment. And it's just sometimes, it, you know, I don't know. <laughs> That's, am I rambling? <laughs> no, not at all. Actually, there's, there's so much, um, there's so much there that you just said. I mean, uh, the fact that you have a place where you all can hold the space for each other in whatever manner that looks like, um, that's absolutely beautiful and important. Um, and we're recording this um, a few days after I've lost one of my best friends on the planet to COVID. And um, sometimes we, my friends and I, we just call each other and just cry on the phone together. And, you know, having people in your life that can do that for you, that is a remarkable gift. And, um, and I'm, I'm so happy for you um, as a warrior of addiction to, um, to have that space and to have the wherewithal to be so connected to yourself that you're able to catch yourself slipping into those dark places. Um, I would like to ask you actually, how did you find heroin and what was the path that led you to that initially? Well, I was, I, so I guess I give you a brief timeline like we, oh, and also let's celebrate the fact really quick before you do that, that you're seven years sober. Yep. Seven years clean. Yes, I am. Remarkable. Seven years clean. <laughs> seven years clean. Um, it's, it's, the timeline is like, so, you know, we're originally from Jersey. We moved to Georgia in 05 and my sister ended up staying for college and I was in Georgia the whole time. And so I was one of those kids that I didn't drink until I was 18. I didn't believe in premarital sex. I, you know, was the, the Catholic school upbringing was like really embedded in my like DNA. And I remember, you know, right out of high school, I went to college and I spent maybe a year and a half there and I really wanted to major in theater and minor in creative writing and my parents said that wasn't practical. And so I did a chiropractic major and it was too hard for me and so I became a CNA. And from 18, I was just working, making a lot of money at, as an 18 year old. And we moved to the South and I worked like three or four jobs at that time. And I, you know, I was, I just, I never really 
you know, I was just a very great worker and you know, I had friends and wonderful people in my life, but like, I felt like I never had that experience. You know, my sister went to college and she went to college parties and, you know, she was experimenting and I wouldn't dare, you know, touch a thing or even marijuana. And so I, my sister graduated college and came here. And I think a part of me was like, all right, I think I want to go back. And I want to experience life. And so I told my dad maybe like two weeks notice and packed up all my things. I had probably maybe like $700. And my best friend came and picked me up and we went to Jersey. And I lived in Newark, New Jersey. I had a really great job working for Hertz at Newark Airport. So I was making money. And I went to my first music festival. And I dabbled in some things and I really enjoyed it. And then probably I started dabbling in more things and I found heroin and I loved it. Or so I thought. And that's pretty much the way it was. I was just this girl that was going to shows and partying and getting drunk and like snorting heroin and just, you know, having the life and meeting all these people and going to New York City and Bands are asking me to manage them and I'm connecting with like the New York City music scene and I'm like meeting really top execs and famous people and little things like that. And it was just like fun and it was great. And I'm like, yes, I love it. And I've got a handle on this and I can control this. And then I got in my own apartment and it was amazing and it was great. And, you know, I will say I had, you know, some friends that, you know, we were best friends and we knew each other before we got into it during after and I think what happened is we all kind of turned into really dark versions of ourselves and I'm someone that like you know if I make it we all make it and if you know let's do things together I dream for everybody and not just for myself and I'll help the world get to where they need to go and you know I still had that part of me but I was also really disconnected I hadn't spoken to my family in years I hadn't seen them in years I just really retreated and you know I was a stranger to my aunt who me and her were very close and she just couldn't understand what was happening and my dad knew and my sister could gather something was off and it was just kind of easy to just keep going and, you know, also being an empathetic person, something I didn't know or term I didn't understand at that time. I just didn't want to feel all the things that I was feeling because I just had some certain traumas that I never really like dealt with. And as a Haitian woman, you're just kind of taught to like, you know, steer forward and get on the horse and keep on riding. And I just chose to ignore a lot of like my pain that I was masking with it until I had, you know, just kind of like a existential crisis moment where I recognized, man, I'm going to die if I keep doing this. And so I, you know, the breakdown happened and my sister saved my life and uh, came back to Georgia and found yoga. (laughs) Wow. Yoga, really? Um, I've been doing yoga since I discovered it at around 22 years old and I'm about to be 45. Um, how, how, how did that happen? I mean, how did you find yoga? I had a lot of, um, friends that were already into it. So when I was in Jersey, I remember like, you know, I was like number four or five time trying to be clean in the mix of all my friends and, um, that are using. And I like hosted a yoga night at my house and I invited all my friends. I spread out the mat and I laid out the vibe and we all did yoga and people loved it because my friend was a yoga teacher. And so she started giving me yoga 
lessons. And I had another friend that moved to Boulder, Colorado, actually, and she was she had become a yo. So it was just through friends that would kind of tell me like, oh, you should do it. You should do it. And so um, when I moved to Jersey, I was like kind of I knew the N.A. thing wasn't going to work for me. Um, and I was trying to kind of like figure out like how to get a grip on like feeling so many things because um, I was probably by the time I moved here, I was maybe like three weeks clean. And so, um, so it was just, I was smoking cigarettes and hiding it. And like, it was just, I was just losing myself. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to have to like find something to like get myself in check. And so I decided to like meditate every single day. And my mom, who is phenomenal for this, gave me the secret, like the second day. I the was, book, I, The Secret. The book, The Secret. Oh the secret. man, I've read that. Yeah. And I manifested everything on that, um, on what everything that I needed. And she, she was definitely a, a great lifeline. Like my parents, like they truly, like they had all the, oh, I might cry. I'm going to get a grip. Hold on. Sorry. They, everyone, my aunts, my uncles, my mom, my dad, my sister, they held space for me in such a way that like they could have been really Haitian about it and like pissed off and like rude and mean, but they were like so caring and loving and like they were amazing. And that really helped me to like want to do good. And so they, you know, even I remember I would like, they, they would come downstairs and see me like laying on the floor meditating for like an hour and like my whole, the whole place is lit up and I can't <laughs> everywhere. And like, my mom's like, you're going to burn the house. I'm like, I'm not going to burn the house. No, please. <laughs> I'm spiritual. It's good. Don't worry about it. Like, and I've got incense and like, my dad's like, what's going on? And I straight up told him, I was like, listen, I will not, you know, touch heroin again. Like, please just accept this <laughs> for what it right. is. And, right. and let me do what I'm doing right now because this is what's helping. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it was, I, went, I really went inward and, and just really had a conscious sort of like, um, you know, I just did the work. I, I really did the work. And the secret really helped me, like, do the work. So you mentioned that, um, oh, God, this, again, thank you so much for sharing this with me. What... You said that NA was just not going to work for you. And for people who maybe aren't in the United States listening, that's Narcotics Anonymous for um, people who uh, are addicted to narcotics and um, heroin being considered um, a narcotic in our country. Um, you, at least for now, until I don't know what Oregon's going to do, they've just legalized um, all kinds of stuff and have decided that you, you should be referred to um, a mental health specialist, mm -hmm. um, which I think is kind of beautiful, actually, because it is about addiction. It's not about crime. Yeah. Um, anyway, why not? Um, we can always talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But why, why not? Why wouldn't NA work for you, Jen? Um, again, I like I express I'm an empathic person, so it's very hard for me not to connect with people. And I did NA for a while in Jersey. Like me and my friends were trying to get clean and I probably did it for like a month straight. And it was good to some degree. But what happens is you form connections with other people and it's very hard to not become dependent and connected. And with heroin itself, and this is just because I was a heroin addict, 
there's a lot of relapse, you know what I mean? And, and it's just, and a lot of lying, it's very hard to tell who's being honest and who's not. And I just remember that it was just like, when I came here, I tried to go to a couple of, um, of, um, meetings. Any meetings? Yeah. And I, it just didn't even, I remember when I got a year clean and I went to an NA meeting and there was this moment where they asked me like, how did I do it? And I said, I did a lot of yoga and meditation and I like had to leave New Jersey and, you know, and just find, you know, I, I made challenges for myself. So at one point I was going on a Georgia hiking tour and I was just going to hikes in different space, places in, in Georgia. And then I decided I was going to go on a Georgia venue tour. And so I would go see different shows in Georgia. So I was just kind of making life work for me based off of like, you know, my likes and trying to find, you know, what I could do. And I would go to the NA meeting and I remember I was like, all right, I'm going to go every year so I can get my chip, you know, and then go and the, they just kind of, this is like, it could be controversial because I know a lot of people, it helps. And I know some really great friends and great people that are just as clean as long as I have, and it helps them. I think it's like you have to figure out like who you are. And and for me, because I'm such a spiritual person or quote unquote a hippie or, you know what I mean, a one of nature, it's really hard for me to not potentially form a codependent relationship with someone in NA, not want to help them, not want to save them and ignore myself. Or it was just, it was just not going to be good for me. You know, there's a little bit more to that, but like, I just would not want to discourage anybody from that. And I don't want to look down on that because that NA is a, a source out, not including jail that can help people. Because when I had my breakdown, I could have easily gone to jail and I could if I was a man, more than likely I would have gone to jail. Fortunately, I was put in a mental institution to get a grip, but like that, you know, it it's really sucks when you are truly a good person and you have been sort of, you know, bitten by the snake that is addiction because it helps you cope with trauma or it helps you cope with, you know, just like, you know, waking up. So, um, so yeah, that's just, that's it. You know, I really respect the fact that even though it didn't work for you, that you really are trying to drill home with the listeners that it's really about finding what works for you. Um, and heroin being the hardest drug on the planet to, um, to, to break. And you're right. A lot of relapse, um, I guess the question is, you had mentioned that you had a handle on it. Um, is there a point in time where you realized you didn't have a handle on it? I mean, I know a lot of Hollywood movies glamorize, like Train Spotting. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Um, or like Pulp Fiction, mm -hmm. where there, there's sort of this glamorized moment where um, the addict realizes, like, I'm done. Um, but then like within 24 hours, they're back in it. Um, and then, um, you know, just, uh, kicking it and having, you know, three days of just a terrible pain and suffering. Um, I guess how, when did you know, was it, was it one of those moments? Um, or was it just sort of like an, an like a little voice inside your head that happened a lot of, a, a few times? 
No, I have a very good, great connection with my dad. And I think that he started to recognize I was slipping away. And he would say these things like, oh, when you look over the cliff, make sure you don't jump. And it would like, he would like send, he would send me like, you know, Alan Watts, like long, long, long quotes and different YouTube um, seminars of Alan Watts. And so there was something that was always, he was kind of like circling my brain every single time I did something, you know? And I remember I wrote his letter and I was like, you're right, I've, I've used. And and it, the moment I had written him this letter to kind of admit that I had used, my dad was like, come back home, come back home. I was like, no, I'm going to stay. We're all trying to get clean. I can be clean too. And it was in that moment, I think it was like by my third year, that final year, um, I had gotten fired from my job and at that time, I looked at it as like a negative, but I think it was like life kind of trying to push me out of Jersey. And um, I got fired from my job, um, not because I did anything. It was just a change. I got bit by a dog that same day. Um, I went home and, and I was sitting there and I had no job, so no reason now to be here. And I'm, rec I'm looking at everybody. Now I'm able to sit and I'm looking at everybody and not having a job, not having money. I now didn't have money to support my habit. And so now I have to like get people to like get for me. And now I have to decide, all right, well, since I'm like suffering and I don't have any money, well, I'll just get clean. So I'm going through the sober parts, which are hell, you know, like by myself in my room with bills mounting on my head and, you know, not meeting my habit and it was just kind of a very easy to reflect I was having horrible dreams and I remember one day I came home to the apartment and like I did not recognize anyone in my apartment and my roommates were in their room getting high and it was just like what is going on and they're like so messed up they don't even know what's going on and I'm retreating in my room and it turned into like a madhouse and I just started having visions of the future. It was just like, a, it was probably like a two week downward spiral from the moment I lost my job to like the culmination when like I just completely lost it and I tried to quiet the noise. Um, and instead I just kind of went off the deep end or cry for help or whatever that was. When it's so amazing that your sister heard you and that um, you were able to find a safe space to sort of um, get back in touch with yourself. Um, do you think that the meditation and yoga helped you when you were in the mental institution or what, what, what has kept you clean all these years? Hmm. I think just like seeing the light, the love for life, like recognizing like what I'm capable of doing, just recognize like how amazing I am. I mean, I, I've, I've experienced some things. I once, you know, um, Bonnaroo 2012, I actually was airlifted out. I was on life support and almost died and then came back to life. And, um, that experience was definitely something that made me want to have like a bigger will to live. Cause I felt like I was in this realm where I had a choice to either pass on to this new world or just wake up and keep on going. And that has always like kind of resonated with me that the moment that I was able to kind of like beat that, like 
it was always like, I'm just going to make it to like one year. I'm going to make it to two year. I want to make it to three year. And I always said, if, if I made it to five years, I was kind of like in remission. And so like, the, it was just sort of like constantly checking in and talking to myself really kind of just keeps me going and motivated because I have my moments of depression. I have my moments where I really disconnect. I have my moments where like I get extraordinarily overwhelmed. I uh, battle anxiety like no other. Um, and there are moments where, you know, in my head, I'm like, man, I remember why <laughs> I, I used. Right. It's, you know, and it's not funny and I'm not laughing or making light of it. It's just like, you know, when you, someone like myself who like enjoys introspective kind of like moments and I really love self-improvement I really love breaking things down and really understanding it It, it's just kind of I've been my own sort of I don't know client or um I'm I I I can't really explain you know I wish I had like a really simple answer on what's kept me (laughs) clean all this I really don't have a simple answer it really because it's much more complex it's very complex I can't if I you know I'd be lying if I wasn't you know you know part of me is for each and every person that really helped me like my sister her having her as an anchor my dad having him as an anchor my mom having her as an anchor my aunt you know having them as an anchor was really helpful like if i didn't have a support system you know it would have been easy to just give up on that like when i came back the friends that i had in georgia though unfortunately i really haven't connected with them you know as i should have but like they really helped me as well when i came back and so it's just, you know, I've always kind of been able to have a good support system. And so maybe that has a little bit to do with it um, as well. I think that's a really good message to anyone who has an addict in their family. It sounds like you, you really are doing the best when you show support and love and instead of screaming and yelling and, and, and guilt tripping and, and whatever it is, um, because it's, com- it's complicated, like you said. Yeah, the guilt de- eventually eats at you, but you can't reach them until they're clean, you know, because like, you know, you, oh. and there's the thing about enabling as well. So you, there's so many, it's so complex. There's so much to be aware of. Like, I know people that have lost their, lost their lives through this, people back home. And so I, you know, I'm so aware, especially being in New Jersey, Union, New Jersey, in fact, which was like the hub of, you know, heroin. It was kind of like there was no way around it you know, for me. And so I always was a good person. I knew that. And definitely my demeanor and who I was as a person shifted and changes, it changed. But having the opportunity to step away from that 100% helped. Because if I would, if my parents lived in Jersey and I was, they would have to try to shuffle me around to figure out how to find that sense of, I, I couldn't say that, like, you know, I would be clean today. I really can't say that. But leaving there and having a place like Georgia, you know, where there's nature and there's trees, it, there's flowers, it was green, you know, like fall, like it really helps you when you're able to sort of like reflect. And I think that when you're using, you you run away from reflection because you don't want to face all these demons. And so when you're able to reflect, it, it, you're able to see it all. And that's what it what it's been for me. It's just to be able to see it all, feel it all, you know, how a precious life is, you know, how amazing my mom is, how amazing my dad is, like how great my sister is. Like it, it really helps you to just like, all right, you want to be 
better for yourself. You want to be better for them. And so with every milestone, it just felt like I was getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And so, um, you know, I've definitely have triggers where I've been in social situations within the music scene where people would be snorting things in front of me. And I'm like, oh my God, like I have to get up and get out. Or, you know, it's been offered to me and I have to move because I'm like, oh my God, like if I thought I had a complete handle on this, apparently I do not. And, you know, so there are definitely moments where I've been tested and I've been so proud of myself. And then, you know, the people that recognize that, because I don't tell everyone that this is my story. Um, you know, they're like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. And then you see them, they pause for a moment and think about it for themselves. So, you know, I just, you know, it's, it's, it's such a touchy thing because, you know, no one's going to get clean unless they want to. And everyone's story is different. So um, I'm very, very, very fortunate that um, mine is a success story as of right now. Yeah. I mean, what, what a celebration on your family and your own higher, higher being. Um, which kind of brings me to a question. Your sister, um, has mentioned God in our, in our interview and I haven't heard you say God. And so I was kind of curious, um, as someone who has, has found, um, reprieve and, and, um, inspiration through nature and has, um, meditated and done yoga. Um, what is your spiritual belief, Jennifer, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I don't know. At one point I used to say new age spirituality. Um, I dabbled in Buddhism. I grew up Catholic. My grandparents were seven day Adventists. Um, I, my father is a spiritual man. Um, I, I can't give it an identity right now. Some days I could call myself a witch. No, um, but it's just like- Hey, I, I've been there. It sounds like you belong in Arizona. <laughs> um, but it's it's one of those, um, yeah, new age spirituality, I guess, because that's that kind of encompasses what it is. Because I, you know, the sun can be God. The moon talks to me as well. Um, it's a little bit of everything. I've never, because going to Catholic school and just having this kind of, not so great taste. And especially being in a Republican state where, you know, it's a lot of like the Bible belt vibes. Um, I've always had this sort of um, aversion to the Catholic church or any sort of structured, I've tried the non-denominational church before as well, but it's never really fully grasped, you know, to me. But like when I sit outside and when the sun hits my face or when I go for a hike or, you know, just, you know, especially I've had spiritual experiences by myself with the wind um, than I've had, you know, sitting in a church listening to strict scriptures. I think the Bible is a beautiful book and with wonderful stories that I've really enjoyed. Um, but I, you know, I, I was just closer to spirituality is, is just connecting with people and being kind. Right. Yeah, that's, that's very similar to um, most of my friends, actually. Um, there's a there's a lot of um, there's a lot of power in just sitting still and um, having that appreciation for nature and just the way the way it is without words and just silence. I just love that you said you had a moment with a spiritual moment with wind. Um, 
Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's really, that's really neat. Um, what would be something in um, a Haitian culture that you wish that maybe we as Americans, I'm just going to kind of shift this a little bit. Um, what, what are some things that like you see as Americans, maybe we could learn from um, Haitian culture um, or do you, or, or vice versa? Hmm. I think, you know, to a degree, we all sort of have, you know, the same ideals to some degree. I mean, I love how Haitian, the idea of community is so true and real where I wouldn't say that in American culture that doesn't exist, but there's sort of like these like marks that you're supposed to make at a certain age or a certain point in time. And whereas Haitians are like, I mean, you could be 36 still living at home with your parents and it's not even a, a thing for anyone in the Haitian community, it's just like, she's not married yet, so she's going to be in their parents' house forever. Um, and and they, they don't make you feel bad, you know, about it. But whereas, you know, in American culture, it's like you, it's like this pressure to like have these sort of like mile markers, you know, noted and done and accomplished and checked off. And I think that pressure kind of, um, it, it, I'm not saying for everybody, but I don't know, I just feel like sometimes we, we waste our time. I feel like I'm. I, this is just me talking based off of me personally. I wouldn't. I don't. I really. It's so you really asked the. I don't know. I don't know why. Why I'm stumped right here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I kind of threw you a curveball there, Jennifer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I caught it. Um, but <laughs> you got this. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, that that would be one thing because you know I I think a lot of times like some people will look at me like, man, you're still living at home with your parents. I'm just like, it's it's easier this way, you know what I mean? And they they don't care. Right. Um, and and you know, and I don't feel that pressure. I mean, yeah, certain things would be nice, but. I think that's probably one aspect to, you know, some degree, you know, I think we, my sister and I talked about how, you know, mental health and stuff like that wasn't really accepted in Haitian cultures for such a long time. And there's definitely a closed mindedness with Haitians. That's really frustrating. Um, when you, you know, especially when you have your American friends that seem to have experienced more, but then on the flip side, you know, you start to recognize, man, like I'm really grateful for their level of protection to some degree because you know it's kind of like letting you go just a little bit and bringing you back just a little bit letting you go just a little bit and bringing you back but so always feeling that sense of anchor which I think it's you know really difficult for Haitians to really go off the deep end I'm not saying it doesn't happen it definitely does but there's a, a lot more like you know like it takes a village like we were raised by a village and you know right. a lot of in American culture, I think it's like husband, wife, and then, you know, your grandma. If you're lucky, if you're lucky to have a husband or a wife. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of times like families always spread out, whereas mm -hmm. Haitians 
always finding a way to come back together. It's like they all moved from Haiti to New Jersey or New York. And then little by little, they started migrating to Florida and little by little through generations like the, you know, now our parents are trying to migrate to Florida to be next to their sisters or their, you know, cousins and things like that. So there's always this like sense of like togetherness that's like really beautiful. But I think in America, we're kind of raised like, you know, you're not a man or you're not a woman until you're like off and married and you, you know, have your own apartment and you do your own thing. And, and that's where you succeed and you can really thrive. And then with Haitians, it's just like, you know, half the time, like grandparents would live with the parents. And so I knew my great grandmother, I knew my grandmother and they lived with us until they, you know, couldn't anymore. And then they would be returned to Haiti and they would die there in their homeland. So there's like a little bit more sense of like, no one's ever let go, no matter what age. Like, you know, I think it's it's sad, but, you know, I used to look at a generation where, for me, like, I'm like, I would never put my family in a nursing home because, like, my grandmother stayed with me and my great, you know, that type of stuff. And then, you know, sometimes things happen and you, you kind of have no choice, but especially if you're, like, you know, the only one taking care of that person. So it's just, it's, that part is, you know, it's a little... Um, yeah, I think that's one of the things that I kind of like is just, just the community aspect or the, you know, always kind of together. Yeah, I really like that. And I think that we could learn a lot from, um, you know, having different cultures being celebrated in this country. We, we try to, uh, you know, whitewash literally every single culture in this country when actually it is, if we could just celebrate all the differences and all the different ways of living, um, we could find so much more peace in this country. I don't know. That's me. You know, I'm a cheesy hippie, you know, (laughs) I definitely think that, um, we, we have a lot of work to do in this country to have more of a even balanced joy, joyful existence but well on that note um believe it or not because I feel like I could talk to you forever um (laughs) but we're gonna jump into our rapid fire questions um so I hope you've studied for this part um and so these are questions I'm just gonna ask you to answer as quickly as possible are you ready will be ready yes <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, what's your favorite memory from childhood? Thanksgiving holidays. We would have like over a hundred people coming to the house for Thanksgiving. We'd cook two turkeys, two hams, like just having the house full of humans, food, love. It was always the best. Oh, that sounds wonderful. And what about do you have a favorite 80s band or musician? I love Queen, I Want to Break Free, Talking Heads, Cross-Eyed and Painless, Pink Floyd, anything. Oh, right. A millennial that likes the 80s. <laughs> uh, no, that's actually pretty common. And what about, do you have a favorite 80s film? Um, Teen Witch, Dirty Dancing, The Goonies, Rain Man. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you basically are an honorary um, Gen Xer, if you say Goonies, <laughs> that's for sure. And, and Dirty Dancing. Um, okay, what, so um, you did already kind of tell us what inspired you to go to college. Um, you basically wanted to go because your sister went, right? No, 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 I'm older, I'm older, so I went first. 
Oh, um, you did go first. Yeah. Okay. My dad, my dad graduated with a bachelor's in business. So we college wasn't like foreign to our family. Um, but yeah. I originally was, my sister claims I wanted to join the military. I think I blacked that out in my brain somehow. <laughs> it didn't happen. But um, yeah, like I said, I wanted to major in theater and minor in, um, minor in theater, major in creative writing. And that was not, uh, minor, sorry, in English. And that was not um, an option um, <laughs> for me. Right, right. It wasn't practical is it what you said. Practical was what I was told. And so I did chiropractic, which ironically, my favorite job of all time is, you know, being a patient coordinator for massage therapy chiropractic office now. So maybe it was part of my, you know, telepathy that kind of projected that this was going to happen. <laughs> oh, that's so neat. Um, what, let's see, what was your favorite band or musician as a teenager? Um, I was kind of like, the Paramore, NSYNC, Sum 41, All American Rejects. I was a little bit of like a, I had like a punk kind of emo phase somewhat. Like I love to mosh. So like, <laughs> I was yeah, a little, punk rocker in the house. Yes. Rocker, you know, skater boys were my best friends. <laughs> yep. Same, same. Um, okay. And um, Jennifer, would you share with us one bit of advice that you would give to any generation, um, all generations, either to get through the hard times or just life advice in general? The one thing that I will say, and I will, you know, say this to the end of time is everyone needs to find their creative voice. Art heals, music heals. Um, it's very important that we continue to express ourselves creatively because it really helps us process things that we can't really explain in words. That's beautiful. Jennifer, thank you so, so much for coming on the show to share your story with us. Thank you for having me, Trish. It was awesome. I could talk to you <laughs> all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And if you think this is worth listening to, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. Be kind to each other, listen to each other, and let's stop being separated by our differences. I don't want to be an army one.